0: Hi everyone, you're listening to episode 26 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. During this episode, you'll get to hear from Mike and Joyce Jackson from an amazing organization called Reach the Rest that uses partnerships and collaboration to spread the gospel to some of the hardest to reach places in the world. everyone welcome to the podcast my name is Cody Hobelman and i'm here with my co-host and brother Keelan on today's show we're joined by Mike and Joyce Jackson from Reach The Rest mike is the current ceo and joyce serves as the director of operations together they've gained a broad perspective through traveling and building relationships all over the world and developed a deep passion for taking the gospel where it hasn't been heard before during this interview you'll get to hear many stories from sharing the good news in remote villages hearing the name of jesus for the very first time to children changing the world with their acts of generosity. Listen on to hear these stories and more. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you about our finish line sprints. If you've been getting a lot out of this podcast and are looking for a way to take it to the next level, then you should consider joining or even starting a sprint. A sprint is a guided program for small groups meant to lead you through the overarching biblical themes related to wealth and money, while allowing you to explore the restored freedom and purpose that comes with choosing a financial finish line. The sprint guide is completely free and available on our website at finishlinepledge.com slash sprint. Sprints are also completely self-led, so you don't need a trained leader or someone who's been through the program before. All you need are a couple friends to get started. So check it out and get a group together today. And with that, let's get to the interview. All right, so we are joined tonight by Mike and Joyce Jackson. Guys, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Cody.
2: Thank you.
0: So I was hoping you could get us started by just giving us a little bit of background on your upbringing, your faith journey, and just where you're coming from. Go ahead, Joyce.
2: Well, our stories are somewhat very similar, even though we've taken different paths. Both Mike and I became believers at a very young age, at nine years old. Interestingly enough, both of us were nine years old. Mike was led to the Lord by his dad, and I was led to the Lord by my mom. And very interesting set of circumstances when I became a believer. I had a brother that was two years older than I was, and he died very, very suddenly. And on the night that he passed away, my mom came into my room and we talked about that, and she actually led me to the Lord. Where Mike's story is not quite as dramatic as that, but his dad led him to the Lord. So we find that that was a really commonality that we had in our in our stories. I ended up getting married at 19 and was married to a, actually a missionary's son. We were married for 20 years and involved in ministry on a local level. And after 20 years, our marriage was dissolved. My husband no longer desired to be married. And that's another parallel that Mike can tell you about in his story, but it's kind of the same situation where he was also involved in ministry on a large scale overseas, and his marriage ended as well so that was we found that was another commonality in our backgrounds. But you know that 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 moment in time was a life changing moment in so many different ways. We don't want to embrace crisis. And we don't look back on those times with joy. But I also have come to realize over the years that was because of that absolute brokenness that came at that time when that marriage fell apart, that my whole life basically fell apart because my vision for the future was really centered on being married and having children and growing old together. And all of a sudden, that all had gone up and smoked. And it was a point in my life where I was very broken physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And God used that set of circumstances to show me that there was nothing that I could hold on to, whether it be a husband or a family or finances. He was the only thing. He was the rock. And so that would become a pivotal thought process in the future and so he brought me through that not only showing me that but that he could be trusted and it was one step at a time trying to heal through that process and god started drew me so close to him i've often thought about david and why he is such a prolific writer in the old testament you know why is because he had faced such heights and depths of emotion, the fear, the grief, the sorrow, the regret, the, all of that. And because of that, those circumstances in my life, the Holy Spirit started working through my life, and there started to become this overflow of the Holy Spirit. And for the first time in my life, my relationship with God was more than just knowledge, Bible knowledge. Bible stories. I mean, the stories are wonderful, but when you go through the hardships and you're walking through the fire, it's the character of God and who He is and His sovereignty and His sense of righteousness and He can be trustworthy and your faith. That's where it all comes together. And I had to learn that through that process. Well, God in His graciousness after being A single mom for three years is when Mike intersected into the picture. And it was a total turnaround. My life had gone one direction. He took me off to a right turn with the marriage failure and all that went into it. And when Mike came along, it was another right-hand turn. Because now here, I was being exposed to ministry on a level that I never even comprehended. My life was pretty much centered around the church. You know, I worked at the church. I was involved in ministry of the church. I was the pastor's executive secretary for, for 10 years. And now I knew that my desire was, was if if I ever remarried, I wanted to be with somebody who was involved in ministry. And then Mike comes into the picture. And it was amazing because this guy was interested in missions. And I was like, oh, missions? Well, I've been out of the country. I've gone to Canada. I took a cruise to the Bahamas once. You know, that was (laughs) my idea of missions. So Mike and I get married. The first trip we took was to Europe, Germany, France, Switzerland. And I'm thinking. If this is missions, I'm all in for missions. I mean, this is great. So that was my first exposure overseas. Our second trip we went on, we went to the Middle East, and we actually went into Turkey. Now, that was a different picture at that point in time, because now I was seeing people and culture that was totally different than mine, the language, the call to prayer. And right about that time in in our journey, I started working for a missions organization, which happens to be the current organization that we're working for. Our founder at the time was going to take a trip overseas. And since I was one of the team members, he said, hey, why don't you join me? So sure. Where are you going? Northern Iraq. It's like, what? Well, to make a long story short, it was right after Saddam had been taken out of northern Iraq, and we ended up taking an ESL journey over there. And it was life-changing, because for the first time, I started to see God's kingdom in a totally different way. We were sitting with people that didn't have the gospel. Cultures are totally different. It was amazing, and I realized for the first time, wow, this is what I've been hearing about all my life, about missions, but never really understood what it was. It was more than just going across the street and witnessing to your neighbor. It was engaging people that had never heard of the gospel before. It was looking beyond their physical needs to see that there was actually a spiritual need. And so that started that journey, into missions, into the area of missions. And I can let Mike pick up the pieces here. But since that point in time, God has taken us on a journey all around the world to see. And so it was an element of being just, you know, brokenness. And, and there's that temptation when we're broken for whatever reason that we're, you know, Satan wants to put that, you, you know, you're not a any good anymore put you over on the shelf but that's not God's opera that's not how he operates he puts things together and he creates new situations and what the locust stole you know it all that is is true so God's promises are true and we have seen it play out in our lives so much so I'm gonna let you know Mike tell his story and I didn't want to steal his thunder so I'll let him tell how his a little bit about his journey
1: yeah, so I came to the Lord at nine. Like Joyce said, my dad went to church in Oklahoma and heard the gospel at a revival service, an old-time revival service back in the day, and probably in 1968, so that would date me a little bit, nine years of age. Heard the gospel, was convicted. My dad talked to me many times about right and wrong. I was not the best little boy, I guess now, as I look back. Wasn't a bad guy, but tended to hassle my sisters and maybe lie to my mom and not obey, and Dad just began to explain to me the difference between right and wrong and the fact that the Bible calls that sin, and Jesus came and died for everyone, including Mike Jackson. So as Dad walked me back into the church, went to the pastor's office, and sort of told the pastor, I've got this pastor, and I just want to walk my son into faith with you sitting here, and then pastor baptized me the next Sunday in Enid, Oklahoma, way back in the day. So that was a great experience for me. typical childhood, typical teenage years. For the most part, a little bit unusual at times. Mom and dad example missions to me. They went back and forth, eventually became uh, missionaries. Dad was in the medical profession and did that overseas. So he uh, was in Africa, in the Middle East, after we were older. And just a great example is my dad did that. And uh, like Joyce mentioned, we got married. I got married to a wonderful lady. Uh, we have three kids uh, they are a little bit older now, 38, 36, and 31. And so we had three kiddos. And eventually, you know, like a lot of young people do, at least my age, we we didn't want to do what mom and dad did because that's what mom and dad did, even though it was a wonderful thing, okay? They exampled well for us. I kind of went off on a different track and started working at churches. And eventually we thought we were smart enough that we could go where God couldn't find us, or at least where we didn't have to pay attention to him much. And rather than going overseas to missions— We went down to South Texas, and when we got off the airplane, folks down there are wonderful, incredible people, but they don't look like I do. They're just Latinos, and that is a wonderful, wonderful group of people. And I got exposed to a a society, a culture that I just fell in love with, you know, very family-oriented, but they were different than me in many ways, and I appreciated that so very much. And at the same time, God got my attention that, remember, I'm in charge and you're not. And so we did what mom and dad did. But more importantly, we did what God asked us to do. And God asked us to go overseas with a Baptist sending agency. And we ended up in in Turkey, in the Republic of Turkey, among a great group of people in the Middle East, all different types of people, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, religiously, not religiously just a cosmopolitan group of people in that incredible land. And we did everything except really church planning. Ironically, it's a sending organization that does church planning, but I was a business support person. But I fell in love with people that live in the Middle East, came to know that they are same as we are. Just like, you know, Cody and Keelan, you've got families, they've got kiddos, they've got a wife, they've got a job. They just want to be successful, whatever that means for them. But ultimately, they need the Savior just like we need the Savior in the United States. And that became a burden for me. People that live in the Middle East from a variety of different backgrounds. Eventually, we moved to Europe, to Germany. And, you know, some things happened in our lives, and we came home. And eventually, you know, our family separated. And eventually, we were divorced. And like my wife said, Joyce, out of that brokenness comes healing. You address issues in your life, and you want to follow God in a desperately good way. So like Joyce talked about what the locust stole, God can redeem that. And I live biblically by many verses, but perhaps the favorite verse I have would talk about in Lamentations. Lamentations talks about that His mercies are new every morning. And whether you're around the world or whether you're in Pennsylvania or Maryland or we're sitting in the volunteer state of Tennessee tonight, as the sun rises tomorrow morning, those mercies of our Christ are new and they're good. And the next passage of scripture right after that, great is his faithfulness. And man, as Joyce and I got married, one of the songs we used as our wedding was great is his faithfulness. And almost 20 years later, you can look back and, you know, Cody and Keelan and people listening, I hope you never go through divorce. And if you have, you'll understand. I don't understand there's a veil that'll be lifted when we're in glory of why something was good and now it's good too. Okay. It's a mystery to me. So I live to be obedient to Christ, to try to be a better daddy, a better husband, a better grandfather, and really just try to be a better student and disciple of Christ, as I've been given great mercy. When I look at my wife, Joyce, young men and people in the broadcast? I see the mercy of God, the undeserving grace and mercy of God. So it's been an incredible journey. You know, we thought we did great in the past, and maybe we didn't sometimes. But man, we just want to finish well, realizing, man, it's not about Mike and Joyce Jackson. It's all about Jesus. Everything. Is supposed to be a reflection to give glory to our Jesus. And someday we gather around the throne. You know, the intersection with Reach the Rest, maybe it's a segue into that conversation. I was in Georgia at a church doing some things on a volunteer basis, working in the at a job in Atlanta. And one day at a local church was introduced to a guy named Roscoe Brewer. And Roscoe is the founder of the ministry that we lead today. Roscoe, at that time, was in his 60s. I'm pretty close to that, and I can't imagine Keelan founding a ministry at 60 years of age. Okay, man, just the energy of this man was off the charts. Just used a lot that he built on, and he eventually became obsessed and absorbed with taking the gospel where it's not and partnering with nationals that live in those countries. And so— the strategy that many people on the face of the earth use, and particularly in the area of generosity, people getting wrapped up in giving and praying and going to partner with nationals to train them, teach them, listen to them, trust them, and help them identify and go to the people around them that have never heard the gospel of our Jesus. So that's what we do. So our, our intent is to help the nationals. Replicate disciples, find leaders, start church, and get to movements of God where the gospel's not. It's a joy to do that. You know, as Westerners, particularly as Americans, we're we're very goal-oriented, we're very aggressive, we want to conquer, and all that's fine and good. So as we've done that the last hundred and fifty years, and particularly the last 50 or 60 years, you know, we've reached a lot of the world. And we're used to being the tip of the spear, if you will. But in this age in which we're living, it's a great thing to be a servant and be in a subservient role to where we're not necessarily the tip, but we're holding the spear for those dear national believers, those people that are indigenous, if you will. And they get the privilege of penetrating the darkness with the gospel. And we sit back there, cheer, support, give, encourage. And honestly, if we'll be quiet a lot of the time, we'll learn a ton from them as we see their sacrifice, their obedience, their courage. They love those people perhaps even more than we do that that don't know the Lord yet. So it's just been a privilege. And so Roscoe passed away in 2011. It was a mom and pop. And many businesses may be on this podcast are mom and pops, and you can identify with that. And a lot of times when the, the founder dies, the, the ministry or the business sometimes struggles. And we did for a year, but God had a different purpose. And so we looked at the future and we made some good decisions in the area of consulting with some people in Atlanta. And they helped us reestablish and we kind of converted this by God's glory from a, a founder based ministry more to a fiduciary responsibility had a strong board and have a strong board today. So we honor Roscoe. And along the way, we came up with the name reach the rest because it really describes what this ministry is about of reaching the rest of the people that have not heard the gospel. And perhaps one, one thing statement I make further and then take a pause maybe is that we're very collaborative. You know, we realize that it's impossible. For one organization, even a very large organization, and we're small, to do it all. It truly does take a collaborative effort among other like minded mission organizations. So, one of the beauties that happens around the world today is that many nationals take the seat of, they, they take the lead seat, and those of us from the West and the Global South and the Global East get an opportunity to sit around at a table with the objective where the gospel's not. And all of us figuring out what our role is, trying to leave our ego and our t-shirt at the door and sitting down and saying, what can we do together to reach the rest of the people that haven't heard? It's an amazing, wonderful time around the world in that respect.
3: Man, a lot to unpack there. One thing that I really loved how you guys said it, both of you actually, about God kind of working through your lives through brokenness and how that being kind of a a very significant launching point in your lives. We have heard that over and over on this podcast, and you see that clearly through countless stories in the Bible. And I just love how God focuses on using us out of our brokenness, and, and I think that there is a lot of substance to that, and clearly that has been the case in your guys' lives and all that you've been able to do since that time. I wanted to get into a little bit more detail about the work that you guys do through Reach the Rest. Can you give us a little bit more context for how you guys go about connecting with national believers and indigenous missionaries and, and how you actually, kind of the inner workings of what's going on in the background there?
1: Yeah, Kela, that's a great question. And thank you for that. And that issue of brokenness, I think, is so exampled in the Bible, as we all know. And I think the other thing to talk about somewhat how these relationships are developed is that word relationships, that as we've been able to not only heal ourselves in an area of brokenness, and that relation centered so much on Christ as it should be, the relationships that are established with nationals overseas take time. And much like us, some of them are broken, some of them have issues. And so we can begin to relate on that level, but it's It's truly a sovereign work of our Lord that he desires to have these people reach certainly more than we do. He died for them. And so a lot of it is wrapped up in prayer. And I think that's such a missing ingredient in our own lives. I can speak up to myself and looking to God to supply everything we need, whether it's a healing of our lives, whether it's financial issues. Whether it's kids that choose, all those types of things, that this relational aspect of how God made us to desire relationship. And as we've walked the last nine years or 10 years now in the ministry that we're privileged to lead for God, to steward for God, people have been introduced to us on this side of the water. They're very generous with their time, with their families, with their resources, with their finances. Likewise, on the other side of the water, your question is, how do we find those people? Honestly, they find us. And so when you get connected in the right relationships with like-minded organizations missionally, whether it's people that you've had on like like Matt with Never Thirst and certainly David with Dulos, those types of ministries, you begin to get to know those men and women. And then that network just expands just like it does in a business or whatever the setting might be. So we're careful. We're wanting to find faithful people. We're wanting to find people that are not grabbing money. It's not the first or second or fifth thing out of their mouth. They're wanting to be trained. They're wanting to know more. And they're teaching us and we're teaching them. It's a level table that we're talking about. We're not looking down at them. In fact, now we're looking up at them in many ways. So I think to answer your question, it's through networks and, you know, we can define the geography a bit more. We use that term, where the gospel's not, and that term of the 1040 window that so many people have heard. So you we begin to define it there, and then you, be, you begin to network with people that you work worked with before, or you hear about, what are you doing in Nigeria, or what are you doing in Myanmar, or what are you doing in Algeria, whatever the case might be. Then you begin to look at where the gaps are at, where the gospel's not at maybe where somebody's not working intently on a movement and replication. And you just begin to figure out, you know, who the leaders, nationals are, who might be coming out of those movements that are beginning to tackle other places where the gospel is not in their area. And it's just a lot of eating kebab and drinking tea and sitting on the floor and having a lot of fun around the world. You know, it's just a joy to do that. So it's through networks and relationships, Keelan.
3: And you brought up the 1040 window. I know that's a term both Cody and I have heard many times, but for somebody who's just hearing that for the first time, can you just yeah. give a little context for Yeah, for sure. That?
1: Sure. So it's the 10th and 40th parallel latitudes of the earth, basically the west coast of Africa, all the way across the world to Indonesia, and all that space in between. That's a basic definition of it. That's where the gospel's not, if you will. It is, but you know what I mean. And largely, the populations of those countries have not been exposed enough. And man, when they hear the gospel in this day and time in which we live, the stories are just miraculous. So that's that's that 1040 window, Keelan. Great question.
0: Well, Keelan and I have been talking a lot recently about gaining perspective. And one great way to do that is to travel, to go see things for yourself and to experience it and to build those relationships just like you're talking about. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how your experiences abroad have prepared your hearts and minds
1: to be in the roles that you're serving in today? Yeah, I love that question. You know, going overseas and and certainly you can go to context of cross-culture in the United States. We, we live near Nashville and every major city and other cities for that matter have cross-cultural experiences. It's an amazing thing. And so we can do that. And there's something about getting on an airplane to some respect and going inside the side of the world. And I just think about people we've taken and a few years ago, we took a bunch of people from Atlanta. These are all people that love Jesus, and they wanted to go and see people that live in the Middle East and hear and see firsthand what they hear on the TV or from this story or that story. And you know, we're in northern Iraq near a place called Mosul. In the Bible, Mosul's biblical Nineveh. Been a lot of conflict in that region and so forth and so forth. A lot of refugees, a lot of internally displaced people. And we were just out there in a small village, very near very near Mosul. This is probably five or six years ago. And we're out there and with the people we're with are nationals and they're a bit more courageous than I am. This, this guy from Tennessee. Okay. And so they, they said, let's go drive up here. we got a bunch of Bibles in our car and the van that we're driving in. and Let's just go engage some of their students or college students. And Mosul has been so torn up that they were at a village outside of Mosul taking their final exams in the springtime and the people we were with had been there, and they felt like it was okay to go. So we went, and everybody's beginning to pile out of the van with a bag of Gospels and looking for opportunity. And it it felt like it was the right thing to do. It's not handing out Bibles for the fun of it, so to speak. God's Word doesn't return void, obviously, but really strategic. They'd done there, been some evangelism. There was some house church there. There was nationals around. And so they were guiding what we were doing. And we're just trying to engage young people that actually spoke English probably better than I do. And it was fun to kind of be out there with them. And I turned around and looked at the van. And one of my friends was sitting there in that van. And I'm not going to call his name because he'll wring my neck if I do that. But you know who you are, <laughs> my friend, okay? You know who you are because you'll listen to this podcast. And I was sit- I sat there and I looked at back in that van. And there he sits. I mean, we'd been a few places in the world, but he'd not been to the Middle East before. And he's sitting there in that van. Just kind of rocking back and forth, looking at me and just that unspoken question. You better not ask me to get out of this man. Okay. (laughs) I probably won't do it. Okay. A few minutes pass. Long story. A few minutes later, I see him down on the street with one of our nationals. And man, he's just engaged with college kids because he had a couple of himself. They went to Auburn, unfortunately, but a couple of college kids (laughs) that were, they were there just talking. And my friend was animated you know, just can't believe. Later on, he said, Mike, I cannot believe I'm sitting here outside of Mosul talking to somebody. They're just like my kids. Okay. And that was just a, a real big moment for him. And to tell story after story, a story of the impact that it makes on people when they shed the stereotype and the generalities. And And there's bad people here and there. I get that. But man, when they shed those things and they look at those people like Jesus looked at them, man, it changes everything. And it leads to the questions of why am I here? How much time do I have left? What am I going to do with my resources? What do I want to teach my grandkids and my kids? What do I want to say to these people? And the whole issue of what can I do as one person or one family to change that picture? of some place in the world where the gospel's not. And that whole issue of generosity. And for these guys that are a bit older, and they got the time as their greatest commodity is for everybody. But they're looking at that clock ticking as they click to 50 and 60 and 70. And they're saying, I'm accumulating this world's goods. And they begin to realize, man, looking back on it, I wasn't smarter than the next guy. Drilling a well. I wasn't smarter than the next financial planner. I wasn't better cutting on the guy that needed surgery than this guy, or I wasn't the better optometrist. I wasn't the better person, whatever they did in the vacation, school teacher, whatever it happened to be. God gave me this stuff and these experiences to make a difference in the backside of America and the backside of someplace else where the gospel is not And that's where the lights begin to go on. And when that happens to your question, they then don't have a choice about doing something because it becomes a matter of obedience to the Father. And they realize, man, I'm broken to go back to that topic. He put me back together. What can I do in these years I have, whether you're 35 or whether you're 75? And that's what God, to segue, bro, that's what God is doing. And for me, as as a leader of a mission organization that loves to tell stories, God's just begin to not only introduce us to people on the other side of the water, but like you guys have had some marvelous people on podcasts, these couple of dozen podcasts you've done, where you hear stories. I went overseas. I went to a conference. I met somebody. And man, now I have to get involved. And man, I would just... Our board members, some people that are major, mega donors, that are smaller donors, every dollar is important. And I would tell people in this podcast, it doesn't matter how much the money is. It matters the heart of generosity. And then you deal with the issue of sacrifice. And I've watched people that I don't know what people make and so forth and so forth. But I look at somebody, but man, there's tears streaming down their eyes, their face, And they're giving sacrificially, and they're doing it with tremendous joy that they get to be a part of the greatest adventure in God's history. We're living in the greatest point in history, His story today, where massive amounts of people are coming to Christ in the Middle East, in Asia, in Africa, and God bless us in America. We would pray there would be a revival of the church and awakening that would go out to the, to the hinterlands of our, of our people in America, no matter the political persuasion, the answer is Jesus and to wake up and, and be involved in that. And so I, I love to talk to people. And you know, we realize that, that donors to our ministry are not our donors. Give me a break, man. Okay. These men and women that are waking up, that are being woken up, that are experiencing the joy of generosity and sacrificial giving. Man, they're giving to numerous opportunities. And so a great joy of us at our ministry is to to tell other people about some of our people. As God leads that and with permission, the right venues and the right formats, you know, this collaboration that's going on, you just meet people that are engaged with other ministries financially or with their time. And as you begin to collaborate together, you just develop that trust. That takes time, guys, okay? It doesn't happen the first or second or third or tenth meeting. But when you begin to trust each other here and there, I think God just honors us when we honor each other as we all try to finish the task that He's asked us to do.
2: I just wanted to add one short story to what Mike was talking about. Why is it important that we go? And, you know, if we were to talk about what Christianity or what the church looks like here in the West, Without a shadow of a doubt, we all have access to Bibles. Everybody knows the name of God, Jesus Christ, in some context. We had a situation where we took a team over, and there was a couple guys that went off with some of the church planners. This is in the country of India. There was one particular guy, I can remember this, he's in his 30s. So he was he's very eager, searching, looking, eyes wide open, just trying to take this all in and we paired up a couple of the guys with the church planners that were in India and they decided to go out to some of the more remote villages and of course the church planners doing all the speaking because of the language and they go out into this little area and all the people gathered they wanted to see what did these guys have to say and they got them all sitting down and the church planner started speaking and he started asking them questions and one of the questions that he asked was has anybody ever here heard the name or know the man of Jesus Christ and there was total blank expressions nobody in that group had ever heard the name of Jesus Christ wow and what a rem- I, it was I mean, even the people on the team were amazed by it. How can it be that there can be someone on the face of this planet who doesn't know the name of Jesus Christ? And right there in front of us was an entire group of people who had never heard the name of Jesus. And so those church planets were able to continue in there, you know, in with that group. But the impact that it made on our team and that 35-year-old young man came away with, wow, there truly are people who have never never heard the name of Christ, or never been exposed to Scripture, or received a Bible, or even heard anything about the Bible. So that was another really incredible moment for our teams and for us to realize that what we do, there there is a reason for what we do. It's not it's not another good feeling to contribute to, you know, something overseas. There's a real need and a reality that there are people who have never heard his name
1: let me tell you a couple other stories about on that topic about people going and the impact it has it's okay cody i i love to tell stories about people that i observe okay it's just it's just awesome and joyce talks about that story two very similar stories like that both these guys from the republic of texas as they like to call it okay both of them from (laughs) texas yeah it's a joke sort of but they think that way it's a good thing so one of this guy's names i'll say his name because i love this brother's name's jason and Jason, man, he was a deputy sheriff out near Midland, Odessa and has a wife, a bunch of kiddos. And both him and his wife have been on a couple of three trips with us to the Middle East and to Asia. And I tell this story about Jason because Jason went with us to way out. We went, we went to what we thought was the ends of the earth in India. And then we went a little bit further. Okay. Where the gospel is in this village. And then you can go down about 30 or 40 not even 30 or 40, he could take a 20 minute walk to another village. And then the gospel is just not there. It just hadn't got there yet. And Jason was part of a team. And we went walking down that path toward that village and we're sitting there. And my dear brother, Jason, he is a man of few words. Okay. A paragraph or two, man, Jason's talking a lot. And I love the brother deeply, but we went out there and Jason's sitting there taking it all in. It's the floor. It's not particularly hygienic. We walk away from that village. And the impact it had on the young man was, you know, Mike, I, I really thought when you came and talked about this, I wasn't sure. I can't believe nobody's ever heard the gospel someplace. I just wasn't sure. I thought maybe you're just trying to raise money. And we, we trusted each other. And he said, I just decided to come. I wanted to see it. I wanted to feel it. And he said, walking away, he said, I used the name Jesus there, didn't I? I said, yeah, use the name Jesus. He said, you think they understood? I said, I don't know if they did or not, Jason, but I know our father understood that you were saying his son's name there. He said, do you think it's ever been said there before? Man, I wouldn't be presumptuous enough to know that, but I do know that you shared the name of Jesus, and I do know our church planners are going to go back to that village. And I'm convinced that our father wants some of that village gathered around the throne forever worshiping him a few months later a good friend of mine randy and i went to their home in texas and his oldest daughter we're talking about planting churches in india and his daddy was telling that story the teenage girl went upstairs and got a twenty dollar bill teenage girl she'd worked on the farm they live on a farm in texas and she'd worked for that twenty dollar bill she came downstairs she said can you guys use this to help plant a church in india where my daddy talked about (laughs) i said ten four copy that We can do that big time. We literally took that exact $20 bill, took it over to India, gave it to an Indian national church, that exact one. We're taking pictures of the serial number guys, okay? Now, obviously, they can't use a dollar bill over there. They converted that. We took her $20 bill given on a farm in Texas and took it to a church planner. that took it to a farm in India, and it became part of a story. And we wrote up a little thing about that, gave that to that family. Their grandparents looked on. Man, it's their granddaughter. Help them plant the gospel where it's not. And those are awesome things. Same thing, another guy named Doug in West Texas did what Joyce talked about, went to a village, came back saying, man, I shared Jesus maybe for the first time in that village. I said, Doug, maybe. And he said, you know, Jesus could have been that tree. Jesus could have been that bush. They just— what is Jesus? It wasn't who is Jesus. What is Jesus? Okay. And for people listening to this podcast that you guys have had on, that you will have on. And I would say to people that you can be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. Some people, some generation will get to finish that man, women. Why not you and I? For the glory of God. Amen.
0: Those are some really awesome stories. Thank you guys so much for for sharing that. I'd love to hear some more perspective. You talked about the daughter giving $20 and I think, I think there's a temptation to focus on people who have a lot to give, earning a ton of money and they have just a passion for generosity and they have a whole lot of money that they can direct to these activities. But there's way more people that don't. And for that girl to step into that and say, This is this is all I have right now, but can you make a difference with this? That made a difference in her life. And that's a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about implementing a financial strategy to organize your own life around stepping into those opportunities. Do you have any other stories or perspective on how people who don't have massive incomes or net worths can still understand that they're making a difference with their generosity?
1: Yeah, it's a excellent question. I think that I think we do have the misconception that we can't do much if we don't, quote, have much. But just like that teenage girl who's not so much a teenager anymore, you know, several years ago, we continue to hear stories just from our own donors, other ministries, where the small gift, the smaller gift, and we think of it as small, and even saying it's small almost devalues that. Because I think oftentimes that small gift in dollars might be more sacrificial to some extent than that larger gift is maybe. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. value one over the other. Yeah. I was talking to a guy late last week that made an online donation. I sound like I'm talking about our donors a lot. I'm really not except to honor God. And so one guy is uh, from up in Eastern Washington, Apple country, of Washington. And, you know, I didn't know him, called him, text him, talked to him on the phone. And I said, man, you know, you, you gave this amount of money and what, what you do that? How'd you find out? And ironically, it was just because he was into prophecy and a friend of ours had written a prophecy book and he'd stuck it out on Amazon. And this young man was going on vacation with his family over to Oregon coast. And he said, I just like to listen to prophecy and audiobooks. So he listened to this audiobook. He said, I didn't know the author. I didn't even know what the guy did. And at the end of the audiobook, he talks a bit about about a fund that he has. And this guy just began looking up several ministries and selected a few of them to give some money to. Not a lot of money, not a small amount of money, but he just started giving. And I talked to him and I said, man, what's going on here? And he he told me that story. And he said, you know, in the midst of all this COVID stuff the last year, kind of been hard to find some employees. We worked really hard, but God gave us the biggest increase we've ever had in the history of our company. He's a roofer out in eastern Washington. And by a set of coincidences, he found about us. We didn't go looking for him. He didn't go looking for us. And he started giving a relatively small amount of money when it's all said and done. But you know what? It was a big deal for him to give a few dollars to several ministries off a web page that he found by listening to an audio book about prophecy. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to go tell the guys he works with. He's going to talk to his church, his barber, the dude down at the ag shop, the dude where he gets shingles from. He's just going to talk about the ministry, not of us, but of God. So I just, I think of stories, I think way back in the day, 13, 14 years ago, way back in the day, right? I took a whole family over to the Middle East, man and his wife in a lawn care business in Atlanta, took their kiddos and his wife. I and mean, then those kiddos, I know today their lives are changed because of what they saw mom and dad do. And now they're giving to ministry, a lot of different ministries. So God can do little. He can do a lot with a little gift of what we perceive to be a little gift because He knows the heart of people.
2: I think that's a big part of it, Cody, too, is that having God's perspective on investing is where it really starts. Our idea of investing for the future and being wise of our money is how do we spend it on material things for ourselves and do it wisely so we have enough left over at the very end. But when you start thinking of eternal investments, it totally changes the dichotomy of what you're thinking about because it's no longer investing in material items. It's investing in eternal matters, And what's the best investment that you can make? It's an investment in a relationship, a relationship that is going to bring somebody into God's kingdom and foster them along. Those types of investments are eternal. And it's like Mike said just a few minutes ago, if you look throughout Scripture, God always took a little and did magnificent, miraculous things with. You know, He— He just asks you to bring, you know, the fish and the loaves. That's all He asks you to bring. He doesn't ask you to bring enough to feed the 5,000. He brings asks you to bring what He's put in your hand and bring it to Him. And it's just amazing to see how those little amounts, when I make a difference overseas or in God's kingdom, because, see, God receives the most glory when He takes a little and does much with it. And that way, God gets the glory and his kingdom work is done.
1: Yeah. Maybe one more quick one, Cody. You know, you had Richard Baxter on. Just a dear friend down in Birmingham, a pediatric dentist. He and his wife, Tara, and they got three little girls, twins that are five or six now, time flies, and Molly, who's two. And one of the first times I met Dr. Baxter, he told me that they have a, a map or a globe and he teaches his kids, right? He teaches his kids. He talked about it. You guys have heard the story about his dental office, so forth and so forth. But the little girl's favorite country in the world is Mali, Mali, Africa, spends this globe. They touch this and it takes a little song. They like the jingle. And this is just two or three years ago when I met Dr. Baxter, maybe after that, and they, they just loved Mali. I love going to their house, seeing that, that map of that globe. And, these little girls, they just know Molly. middle of nowhere Africa. But two little girls in Birmingham, Alabama, know Mali, Africa. You know, the work that goes on there, the church planting that goes on there. One quick one, Cody, I promise you it's quick. Chairman of our board <laughs> a guy named Jeff up in Maryland. He's a financial planner, uh-huh. Jeff. Years ago, from Mali, we brought our leader, a guy named Benjamin Gay. Frenchman, French speaker in Mali, West Africa. Benjamin passed away last fall. But years ago, Benjamin came to Maryland, had some crab. Can I get a witness? And he was sitting (laughs) in their their living room. Here's the story about the little bit. This Jeff guy, his family all lives just across the bay from the Naval Academy. And every week they get their family together. And when they met Benjamin, this big African-American man, and they had little girls at that time, and there I've got a picture. of Those little girls looking up at this big foreign African American guy talking in English about Jesus. They went; these two little girls, Brooke and Amanda, they went and made a little thing out of a, a little box, like a little shoe box. It was their mission offering. And week after week, they met on that Tuesday night, and those little girls and their their cousins would go and they'd get their money they worked around the house for. Whatever they did, they'd save some money and they'd put that money down in that shoebox, And that was their offering. The little bit from little girls and little boys being taught by their mamas and daddies about giving to the kingdom of God. Those little girls, one's married, loves Jesus, works in Maryland. Other ones, a lacrosse player at Messiah College in Pennsylvania. Amen. They will still tell the story about this African American dude talking about the gospel and them putting money into a shoebox of an offering plate. God's powerful amen. <laughs> amen.
0: I love those stories and it's, it's really helpful to understand that big or small, whatever it looks like to participate and step into that opportunity to build God's kingdom and to embrace generosity as a lifestyle. It can be so powerful. And it's, it's something that God can work through you. And Mike, you and I have talked in the past about the importance of last words and Jesus's final command is, to spread the gospel to all nations and all peoples. And I was hoping to get some perspective on the progress we're making to that end and what is the path forward toward the
1: completion of the Great Commission. Cody, that's a great question. And, you know, I learned from other people that are much smarter than I am about where we're at. But as I've learned, you know, how are we doing after 2,000 years God gave us this great commission, the last words of Christ generally acknowledged. He said it four or five times, go make disciples Four Gospels, Book of Acts. And so that's our marching orders. How are we doing after 2000 years? What's the status of that great commission? And we're doing okay, doing pretty well. You know, been several missionary ages, if you will. And the one that we're coming through right now, just coming out of it into is where we took the gospel from the West to a lot of the world. And again, what we talked about earlier, this idea of partnering with nationals that we've taken the gospel to, equipping resource, helping them, quote, grow their ministries, if you will. That's this transition that's taking place. So if we look at what's happened, even in our lifetimes, even in your lifetimes, the last 20 or 25 years, We talked about these unengaged and unreached people groups, which are missiological terms. But it's basically where the gospel is just not gone, where it's not self-sustaining and it's not replicating on its own. We could get real technical, but we won't do that tonight or today. We're just going to talk about those places that really don't have a foothold with the gospel. The Bible says that some of every people group will be t- gathered around the throne, worshiping Jesus forever. Every people group, tribe and language, Revelation 5, 9 through 11, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel, of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all peoples. And then the end will come. We talk about those verses a lot. We talk about Paul, the greatest missionary ever saying, I make it my one ambition to go where the gospels not. Romans 15, okay? Those are, those are big missiological verses. We could talk about a lot more. So how are we doing is the question you ask. We're doing pretty well. And so the last 20 years, people like Paul Esherman, Ralph Winters, other people like that brought attention to where the gospel is at, the 1040 window, unengaged, unreached people groups. So you generally hit what you aim for. So the education, the technology that's available, we know where people live. We know what they speak. We know the targets. And the more we collaborate together, right, we'll do better, if you will. So the last 20 years has seen a great education process for donors and people with their time and their money. But on the other side of the water, we've been able to identify who is in Christ in a general way and who isn't and develop strategies. So I have a friend in Asia that talks about these basic facts in the, let's just call Christian history 2000 years. And he would suggest in the last 20 years, which is what the last 1% of Christian history, perhaps we've engaged 70 or 80% of where the gospel wasn't 20 years ago. We've done that in the last 20 years. Okay. Now that's a leader that leads a lot of work among a lot of different organizations. He works for one organization, but very collaborative that writes a lot of material that people around the world use. And so he's making those statements. So how are we doing? Man, we're doing pretty well, but there's still people remaining that have not heard the blessed name of Jesus. They don't have a Bible in their hand. Faith comes by hearing God's word will be returned void. So there's strategies. There's people involved that are tackling those last places on the face of the earth. When does Jesus come back? When Jesus comes back, okay? And we're going to take the gospel where it's not as long as we have to. So we're privileged to partner with nationals in a collaborative way with other organizations in South Asia, in Southeast Asia, North Africa among the Berbers and Arabs, West Africa, <laughs> certainly Nigeria. But working with nationals, again, that's the point, men and women. We are not exempt from that Great Commission. We have a role. Part of that's generosity with our time and our money and then partnering with those nationals. So I can get wrapped up in that. We're doing well. Man, it's my passion. The last words of people are important to me. You know, the one-minute story is my daddy, Boyd, went to Jesus in October 14, seven years ago. My mama lives, she'll be 87 in a couple of weeks. She lives in Oklahoma. I'll go see my mama. Sometimes she knows me. Sometimes she doesn't. You get the drift, okay? My daddy's dying. I'm in Texas. My sisters call, and I'm wrapped up in the last words of Jesus. Jesus said, go make disciples, my heavenly father. One of the last things as he was dying in the fall of 2014, pulled me to his ear, and he said, son, finish what I started. Finish what I started. So, guys, I think about those words every day, okay? Son, finish what I started. In other words, I swung the bat for Jesus in Africa and the Middle East. Okay, would you finish it, son, and come join me around the throne? Would you, son? And I think about Cody and Keelan, young men, and I pray to God that I'm coherent and I'm aware of the time that I'm going. I'm going to close my eyes and go to sleep in Jesus. And however that looks, wake up in a twinkling of an eye, and there's Jesus and there's my daddy. Okay. I pray to God that I get to tell my kids and my grandkids, number one, grandpa and daddy loves Jesus. And would you take the gospel where it's not? Would you give your time and your money? If Jesus tarries, would you be involved in the greatest task ever to go fill the empty chairs around the throne of God? Man, I pray to God, God gives me that privilege.
0: Well, I had one more question for you guys before we wrap things up. We started talking before the show, and you talked about the importance of instilling values. And I think the baby boomer generation holds such a massive amount of wealth, especially in America. And a lot of that is going to be passed down to younger generations. But there's also the opportunity to pass down a legacy of generosity and a passion for pursuing these things that we're talking about, like the completion of the Great Commission. How can people think about that ahead of time? What can people do today to share that legacy, but also train their children and their grandchildren to prioritize these things in their lives?
1: Yeah, I think it comes back to that word intentionality. You guys have had several people on in the space of financial planning in the space of generosity, the space of formatting, how they're, they structure their assets, how they sell a business, how they set up family foundations, and all those are incredible tools that, that really your generation largely is promoting more than our generation has in the past. So not to name any organizations, but you guys have had many of those people on. So I think it's a matter of intentionality. I was visiting with a guy this past week, sold a business for a nice amount of money, he had planned ahead of time to where he set that foundation up, had some parameters in place where his particular space is the Great Commission. So he's interested in church planning, the support of nationals, distribution of God's word, discipleship, cares deeply about humanitarian aid as well. So he had, he had set up a foundation. He had structured it intently. He set up some mechanics for when he's gone that it carries on with his kids and other people involved. But he just he, he planned for that, brought his kids into the conversation. And I know people that do that a lot. You know, these small, smaller family foundations, if you will. And I don't understand all those tax advantages and so forth. But other people much smarter than me know those things. And then there's other people that like Richard and Tara, the dentist you've had on or Jeff, my friend, that's a financial planner in Maryland. They start with their kids at a very young age. They just became aware of this opportunity to give to where the gospel is not, to give to people in America that need the gospel. And they just began exampling that with their own giving, tried to teach them how to do it. And those kids have continued to do that in many cases. So we've seen that over and over again in our ministry. Again, I think this is a phenomenon that's happening in our country. And I think that's happening for many, many, many reasons. And Maybe we touched upon those with you as far as technology and so forth, but I see that happening in the people that I know, Cody.
3: Well, Mike and Joyce, it has been a lot of fun getting to hear all of your guys' experience and stories and all that you've had to share. As we're wrapping up for tonight, I did want to leave a second for our manager minute. You know, we spend all this time on the podcast talking about how we are managers of God's wealth and that everything is really His. And so for our manager minute, at the end of every episode, we like to give one practical way that we can better manage or use whatever wealth God has given us to manage. And when we have guests on the show, we like to hear their suggestions, too. So Mike and Joyce, are there any practical strategies for managing God's wealth that come to mind that you'd be willing to share?
1: Absolutely, Keelan. I think something that we can all identify with is the need for God's word whether it's a New Testament, a full Bible, Scripture portions, whatever it happens to be, in the language that they need to be in. And tremendous organizations. Faith Comes by Hearing, many Bible translation organizations have made those available. So one of the things that we desperately need in our ministry is God's Word. It's an integral part of our strategy of evangelism and discipleship and church planting. So one thing that everybody on listening to this podcast can do is for every $5, our national partners on the field will put a Bible or a New Testament in the hands of somebody in the Middle East or Asia that has never had the privilege of having God's Word. It's a miraculous thing to see them listen to the Word of God, have the Word of God, distribute the Word of God. And so that's a really important part of us. Many times it'll be an audio recording as well as a written copy of God's Word. So I would invite families, individuals to just give $5 or give in increments of $5. And we and others can supply them with reports of how that money is distributed. But a very simple way of being part of the Great Commission around the world. So I appreciate it, Cody. You and Keelan, an opportunity to share tonight. Fascinating young man. And it's just a privilege for us to be on this podcast, guys.
3: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Mike. And thank you guys both for joining us on the show. This has been really an amazing time getting to sit down with you guys.
1: Appreciate you guys very much. God bless you.
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you'd like to learn more about Reach the Rest and the great work that Mike and Joyce continue to do, head on over to their website at reachtherest.org. And if you have questions about setting a financial finish line or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. And as always, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 26. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.